Hello, everybody. My name is Jeremy Augusta. And I'm Brent Gunn. And welcome to another episode of In It Together. So probably the biggest news of the past month, at least, the, the Mueller report finally came out um, the day after we recorded last week's podcast, I believe. So I'm going to break it down a little bit for you and, and for people listening. So the Mueller report has been going on since 2016. Uh, the scope of the special counsel investigation was specifically to look at Donald Trump's involvement with Russia. And Robert Mueller only worked in the capacity for that goal. And everything else that he encountered that might have been illegal, he passed out to different offices. I know a lot, including the um, Michael Cohen issue, were brought up to the South District Court of uh, Southern New York or something like that. I don't know the full acronym definition. Um, but the investigation finally wrapped here in 2019. Um, and we haven't learned anything about it. So what did happen was Mueller turned his report into the Attorney General, Attorney General Barr, who Trump recently put in place, uh, I think, a few months ago, late 2018, early 2019. Um, and the four-letter uh, page, or the, the four-page letter we got from Barr basically said, uh, Mueller did not come to any conclusion about collusion, but me and Deputy Attorney, uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein have not found sufficient evidence to find Donald Trump guilty of the thing that this investigation looked at. So a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, and yeah. it also specifically said this letter and the report did not exonerate Donald Trump. Now, of course, you have the White House, Sarah Ann Huckabee, and Donald Trump saying totally exonerated. Rudy Giuliani <laughs> got on TV and said totally exonerated. But there's been a lot of um, pumping the brakes now, I think. Uh, Fox News host Chris Wallace told his viewers to kind of calm down like we're we don't this letter didn't really do anything we don't know anything from it um for the future of the of the Mueller report I think it's like 300 pages it's it's a it's a a beast and what they have to do right now is go through and get rid of any classified information or ongoing investigations that might be referenced so that is what the attorney general's office is doing right now and what Mueller's office is doing the Democrats in Congress have given a April 2nd deadline. This is being reported on the 31st. Uh, Barr, in response, said that it would be ready mid to late April. So if I had to make a prediction, I think we're going to get a heavily redacted letter in the next two weeks. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, too. Um, uh, I, I think that this whole thing, I think it's, it's lead... It's led up to what people expected it always to lead up to. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think anyone ever thought this was going to be like some big uh, like Disney movie in a, you know, we a got courtroom. Him. Donald Trump is arrested. Well, it's really funny because it's like every night on like, you know, Rachel Maddow or something. It's like tonight's the night that Trump goes down. And it was that for about three years about. And I'm really curious to see like what Democrats, if any, try to. I mean, this is depending on what comes out in April, of course, but um if there's like any bone thrown to the Democrats about any like, you know, misbehavior of, of, you know, Trump's, I, I, I would stay away from this completely politically. I think mm -hmm. it's a, it's a complete loss for the Democrats. It was a loss to begin with. I think it was smart for people to slowly kind of edge away from it. And I'm really skeptical if anyone's really going to try like beating this horse anymore, especially after April, because like how you said, we're going to get a, a really heavily redacted report. We're going to get exactly what the White House wants us to see, which is going to be like a really blameless example. I think as of right now, the White House has not seen the full 
report. Right, but They've like only seen the letter. But, but like they 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 haven't like a clear like Bart Bart Donald Trump puts people in place that he knows are going to be loyal to them. Exactly. So when Donald Trump put Barr in place, he knew he was going to be loyal to him. Just like Barr was loyal to to every president he's served so far. Barr also put out a letter, like a op-ed or something like that, where he talked about the president not being impeachable for obstruction of justice. So did you did you see Vice? Um, which thing? Vice was a like a biopic of Dick Cheney. Oh no! I thought so, you meant like a thing from no, Vice. No, no so I did not they, see that. They talk about um, this way of looking at the presidency as having like total power. Like everything the president does is definitionally legal because it's the president, right? And that's sort of the take that Barr has, um, which is a very convenient take. And it's like I'm, yeah, on the drive yes. over here, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about like trying to argue from like a really like constitutional place. It's like the president cannot be charged for X, Y, Z. And it's like, how can you argue that with a straight face? It's ignorance. Like, it's, you don't know anything about the Constitution or why it exists. Or even, I I just can't even understand, like, arguing that interpretation of mm-hmm. the Constitution. It's like, even if that is something that was in the Constitution, that's not something that we should maintain. Certainly not, that the, no. the, That the president should be blameless or they shouldn't be charged for, you know, a certain, like, easily, like, uh, uh, uh easily realizable like crime mm-hmm. you know yeah if uh the, the president is in theory um subject to the exact same laws as every other american now obviously some americans are targeted more than others for specific crimes and the president least so of all of them um i think that's a flaw and i think the the take that the president is above the law is a pretty bad one but like i said this letter or the Mueller investigation as a whole only looked at specifically in a very narrow sense Donald Trump and Russia and everything else it came across it gave to different um, to different offices. What interests me is that the part that like the part that Barr included in his letter and and Mueller talked about ostensibly in the report is that this does not exonerate him. So I'm suspicious that there are other facts that we may learn. If the full letter comes out that are like, oh, we need to look into that. Like if we if we learn that there's contact that Mueller either couldn't investigate or I, I he probably didn't. That there's no situation where I can see him Mueller saying he didn't investigate something that was credible. But I can see like there being some sort of circumstantial evidence about something that is just simply not enough to to convict someone of something or to charge them with. And looking into Mueller and looking into what he's done in the past. He's very much of a by-the-book kind of person. So, yeah, this makes sense. I'm not surprised. Um, I I think my takeaway from all this is it's like, all right, 2016 was like a a massive failure for the Democratic Party, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, the the DNC kind of corruption. You had Hillary Clinton essentially stealing it from Bernie. Um, I mean, Hillary being like the least popular candidate, there were a lot of things that were like, you look at 2016 as a failure. And since then, it seems like we haven't looked at 2016 as a failure. We've looked at it as like a bug. Yeah, like. Or like some kind of like distortion in like a, a very like clean system. Or it was stolen. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it was, was like stolen. wrongfully stolen. Like how could this have happened? And the the whole Mueller thing seems to be like this like totally self-unaware um like just process where they, they continuously just don't learn because 
like they 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 waste their time with this it it comes up it comes up with absolutely nothing and then Trump uses this um against the Democrats for the entirety of them covering it mm-hmm. saying see that the Democrats are just trying to it's you know, a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. They're trying to. They never. They never wanted me to, to be the president. They think I stole it from. They don't think I'm. You know, a legitimate. President. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he uses like those different mantras and everything. And now you're seeing you know Democrats talk about abolishing the uh, um, electoral college. Yeah, which is getting more and more ground. Which he's trying to paint as well. This is purely just because you know I won with the electoral college. And if I, I'm just so confused because it feels like he tweeted once we should get rid of the electoral. College. Well, I know he did, but now he's trying to, yeah. you know, very clearly, uh, you know, jump back and forth. But um, I, I, I'm just curious because it's like, how many more shots do, do the Democrats think that they have? Well, they have one, which which is what, which is 2020, and they're not doing a very good job. Of yeah, it. exactly. For and example, I, I, Joe I, Biden is polling at the top of the party, and he has not announced his candidacy. He also touches people. Uh, particularly women and little girls. I saw a video of um, Joe Biden groping a child, and then in the comments somebody linked a video of Jeff Sessions swatting Joe Biden's hand away from his granddaughter. And it was the only instance where I've looked at Jeff Sessions as an actual human being. I'm like, okay, that's a good grandfather, making sure creepy Uncle Joe doesn't touch his granddaughter. But, but yes, Joe Biden would be a shit show. Yeah, and, there, and there's that cult of personality thing within the, 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 the Democratic Party still. You see it with... Uh, with AOC, you see it with, you know, the Bernie Kratz. There are these people that they find these, like, figures through these now this style videos that they see on Facebook. and they just become awful. Yeah, and they just become obsessed with them based on, oh, this person's a, you know, this this leader of a of a revolution or something. And, and it, I, I don't understand why the Democrats aren't taking a, the 2020 thing more seriously and why they're focusing on, you know, the, the Bidens. And, you know, we're going to talk about Bannon in mm-hmm. a little bit. Because Bannon had a hot take about 2020 that I think is I the more I I think about it because we had a, a few minutes before we started recording yeah. I thought about that more and more, um, the more I think I kind of understand what he's trying to hint at. So well maybe uh, here I'll explain what it is yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. express that. So Bannon was being interviewed and the person asked them, "Who do you think is the Democrats' best chance in 2020 to beat Trump?" And he said, "Well, I don't think they will beat Trump. I think the best ticket." is a Harris, Kamala Harris as president and Beto O'Rourke as VP. And I read this and I went, oh, he's trolling. Like, he knows that that's a really terrible ticket that wouldn't win. You go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and at first I thought that too. But then I thought about this other kind of growing thing that I'm seeing online where it's like the new center. Mm. It's people online being like, hey, can't we just get to the middle again? Where is meeting in the middle? Yeah. Like, um, are you familiar with a, a, a armored skeptic? That sounds familiar. He's this terrible YouTuber. I won't say he's alt right because he's not really alt right, but he's definitely like like diet Jordan Peterson ish type stuff. Very like you know rational guy against trans people type type stuff. Okay. And he he had the series like re- recently where he did this like long live stream talking about um Andrew Yang and talking about uh how there's this growing appeal in millennials and younger people to not have politics that are too far in any direction. They, they just want a very kind of like complacent, like common sense political they thing. Want it it, it reminds me so much. Yeah, it reminds me so much of what Glenn Beck was doing in like 2007, <laughs> 2008. Mm-hmm. Remember when he rewrote common sense and he I was like, oh not. yeah, we, we just need like a 
because you know uh, Thomas Paine's Paine's Common Common Sense. Sense. I've read the original. I've not read Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck's Redux of it. Yeah, he 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 called his book Common Sense and said it was like a. I can't remember exactly how he branded it. I read it when I was a kid. I don't know why, but. And that, that was his appeal a long time ago about how, like, we needed to get, like, a common sense conservatism back into the party because that will resonate with, like, the most amounts of people. So I think that when Bannon talks about that, he's saying that I think that there's an appeal in the voting populace for a strong centrist candidate that's going to be, like, the centrist, like, sensible, common sense candidate to, to rival Trump. I think he's saying that... A person like Bernie isn't going to win in 2020 because he's clearly non-centrist and he clearly pivots mm-hmm. to a direction. Same with Trump. Same with you know anybody else. But Camilla, she is She's kind vanilla. of she is kind of like middle of the road, slightly mm-hmm. almost like right, depending on the day. Same with Beto. I mean, Beto came into wealth through very conservative property means. You mm-hmm. know, um, we could take it as trolling. I take it as Bannon saying Bannon's trying to gaslight people into thinking that the only realistic option against Trump is centrism. Mm-hmm. He's because I think that deep down Bannon really doesn't want someone like Bernie to win because I don't think that Bernie would like collapse the American empire, but he would set a precedent for people that are in a slightly more left political direction to move into more parts of public office. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the, and that's something that Bannon and his camp really, really do not want. So it's weird to think about historically, right? Like we have, like, Donald Trump is certainly one of the most, not conservative, because he's not a conservative, but most right presidents the Republicans have elected since Ronald Reagan. I I mean, I it really depends on how you're using the word right, because... I, I mean, mean we, like... We, because you could technically argue that, like, George Bush was more right based on... I mean, he got us involved in, you know, the Iraq War, and, yeah, but, like, and like, what what he was doing with, like... based on the, the, the things the, they've the, done, like... The Bin Ladens and stuff, or even Bill Clinton. Tax cuts, or... So you're talking, like, fisc- strip fiscally. Fis- fiscally, I guess, is a, a good way to put it. But looking at Donald Trump contrasting him with other past Republicans, and looking at... The Democrats haven't had a super progressive candidate in a long time. Like Barack Obama's a moderate. Hillary yeah, Clinton's sure. a moderate. FDR, I guess. Like, is it even he was kind of a moderate for his day because he was petitioned by the anarchists and like the labor parties of their time pre New Deal, and mm-hmm. the New Deal was the compromise that yeah, the, the yeah. labor you know people compromised for. Yeah, but policy wise, that he, is he the was most like left moderate progressive sure. thing yeah, that yeah, a president yeah. has done. Since this century mm. is the cycle now where like, is it the turn for the radical Democrat or for the radical, the left? radical centrist, or the, the or far, the... the far left. What I'm saying is I don't think it's the time for a centrist. I don't think oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in this political environment, it, you can't go from Trump to a centralist. The pendulum doesn't swing that way. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, and the pendulum has swung right. And now it needs to have that equal and opposite left swing. And I think 2020 or 2024 is when we're going to see that left swing. I think it's interesting that you bring up the whole pendulum swing thing because, like, that's usually what people say. They say, you know, you'll have eight years of Bush and you'll have eight years of Obama, then you'll have eight years of Trump. And mm-hmm. but what's funny is that, like, the, the pendulum, you know, when it swings back in one direction, the one direction seems to hit a lot harder when it goes back in that direction. Yeah. Then when it bounces back, it seems to stay. It seems to stay in a like general ballpark. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking like the Obamas, the Clintons. They're Democrats. They're going to push like, you know, socially 
you know, Democrat policies. But they're but, also going to drone people in the Middle East. And they're also going to defend oil interests and they're also going to defend Israel. And they're also going to they're going they're really going to withhold and like uphold the empire. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing about like because that that's the one thing I always laugh at when the, the Republicans say that Democrats are they're trying to undo America. Or they're trying, they've they've had a pretty good hand in building it to where we are we are right now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I the thing about Trump I think he's a necessary thing. I think that the Trump presidency at the very least is necessary because I think that if we didn't get Trump in 2016, we would have gotten we would have gotten him eventually. Yeah, we would have gotten some someone to fill that social pocket because the way that the culture was moving, the way that like the political structure was moving, it was moving to a point where people were I mean, kind of demanding something like that. There was there was this breaking. I mean, we thought it was really breaking apart with like the Occupy Wall Street stuff. Yeah. And that's when it kind of started building and building. That was the start of it. We like the Tea Party the and Occupy Wall Street, when these little groups started coming up, these were almost like, you know, the, these little, um, like the sparks were started right there and then it just picked up and it built and built and built online. And I watched this over years. I watched the... The, you know, the independents become the libertarians, become the republicans, become the paleoconservatives, <laughs> become the, you know, what they are now. Oh, right. Yeah, become the baked Alaskas of, yeah. of the, of oh the political God. sphere. I haven't heard of big – basically baked Alaska is practically offline at this point. I there, think. There's a great um, Vic Berger compilation. It's like 30 minutes long of, of baked Alaska like getting just – Pepper sprayed. Pepper sprayed and just getting asked to leave by women. Yeah. Played. But anyway. It's pretty sad to watch. But, but, um, um, but like that – that I, I the, the point I'm trying to make is that Trump – and what he represents is a necessary thing. And I'm not saying it's necessary in like a positive sense. I'm saying yeah. it's necessary in that the response to that needs to be um, critical of what Trump is. So like when we're because like how, how you said the response can't be centrism. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree because that would be looking at the Trump years uncritically. That would be, oh, this is just a minor bug. What we need to do is just like rewire some things and get us back onto like that moderate track. However, the pendulum's already swung so far in one direction. It's throwing the entire course off just slightly. Mm -hmm. So now people have come to a place where they're like, well, maybe the pendulum can swing further in this direction now. Because that whole like new middle, new center, I think that's really outdated. Because mm -hmm. what I'm seeing online, what I'm seeing on when I talk to people, you're hearing people either look more into the far right or what like the right radically has to offer or what the left radically has to offer. So mm -hmm. people are looking into socialism or they're looking into nationalism. And I think these are big questions that are, that are coming back into the American political sphere. Yeah. Because like you have Bernie who I'm, I'm not saying that he is a socialist, but he represents historically something yeah. in that direction. You have Trump who clearly represents right populism and nationalism in that direction. Mm -hmm. And if Bernie gets the nomination 2020 and he runs against Trump, it's kind of like a, I don't want to overstate its importance, but it is kind of a, like a historical come around yeah. in a lot of ways. And that's why the center is not like needed because Bernie and people like that, I'm not even going to say Bernie, I'm going to say a far left solution is really the only thing that's going to undo what we see in America. Cause it's the only position that's really proposing to undo what America has done or how America is structured. Because when we do that, we help the third world. When we do that, we help the people that, you know, we forget about and 
you know, we may talk about identity politics a little bit, a little bit later, and I'll I'd come love back to nothing. I'll come back around to, that. to talk about identity politics. But um, yeah, that that's my take on Bannon. So I take it as a troll, but also take it as like very strategic gaslighting on yeah. his part. Yeah, the Trump campaign was such a shit show of like spontaneously capturing lightning in a bottle, right? So he's running in 2016 and he's accidentally stumbling his way into doing all of these things that people absolutely love, like making fun of Rubio was just Trump like on at that point. Like, or Rosie O'Donnell. I remember early on, like when he made fun of her. Yeah. Like my mom laughed. People, people yeah. love that. And that's when he captured it. I don't think he's going to be able to capture it quite in 2020. One, because I think his mental state has deteriorated greatly in these past four years or past three years working as president, I think uh, it, I don't think he's going to have the same energy. I think Trump's going to be. I, I, see, I disagree. Cause I was, um, I was on YouTube the other day and uh, I saw it, it was like two days ago, I believe. And Trump was uh, in Grand Rapids, you know? Yeah. I saw that. And I saw on YouTube that like you could watch the event live being streamed. I was like, I reserved tickets for that event. Oh boy. And I was like, you know what the hell? I'll see. I'll see what he's talking about at this moment. And I tune in, and he's talking about, like, the inauguration crowd sizes again. But, like, I watched for about 20 minutes, and just, like, the aimlessness of his conversation met with, like, the, the like, veracity and, like, the... the, the, the Intensity. The, it was like I was watching Russell Crowe in Gladiator, and, like, he was in the Coliseum, and he was, like, clearly not really doing anything... But just like, like, like it was after he had killed the guy and he was like, are you not entertained? If Russell Crowe just did that for like another hour after the fact, that's kind of like what it was. It was just this like mindless meandering, but it was nothing but confirmation bias. It was nothing but just, you know, people driving there because they know that, you know, my liberal friends don't like that I voted for Trump. Because like, why would they? I doubt you like that your liberal friends voted for whoever they voted for. It's like mm-hmm. is it the self-victimization of, of conservatives. Yeah. Is like a, it, it, it really fueled Trump because they, they really self-victimized during the Obama years to, a to, lot. To bring that full circle, their reaction to the Mueller report is 100% more of that victimization. Like Republicans investigated Hillary Clinton for almost nothing for six years. Mm-hmm. And and now that the Democrats or not even the Democrats, that uh, Republican that was appointed by Republicans did the same thing to Trump with infinitely more evidence. And now they're playing the victims. It's just quite interesting to me. Yeah. Um, speaking of actual victims, did you see that uh, there's currently a bridge along the border that uh, immigration is just keeping people in? Like a cage, like they've literally caged immigrants under a bridge. You'll pull it up because I don't know 100% of the details. Um, Yeah, there's a picture right here. I'm just reading a tweet, um, quote, where hundreds of migrant families are being held in a parking lot of a border patrol station because there's no room for for them outside or anywhere else. Uh, This is in El Paso. I'm just looking at a picture of, it looks like at least like 150, 200 people. Packed in. Packed in behind barbed wire fences uh, underneath a bridge. Just a bunch of kids. I see a lot of kids. I'm seeing like some parents every now and then, but it's heartbreaking to see that this is something that our country is letting happen. And I, I, do, I don't have a solution. I want to put that out there. Like I don't know how to solve that problem, but I think anything is better than caging hundreds of people and putting them under a bridge. I, I just don't really understand like the uh, how how you can like justify that and how 
how like citizenship is so important to you that you you use it to justify doing something like that. I understand that. Actually, no, I, I don't understand. I'm not even going to pivot. I don't understand it. There's nothing to understand. How can you, as a Border Patrol agent, walk hundreds of families to this cage, throw them thin blankets, and go home to your wife and kids at the end of the day? Because it's work. It's yeah. I don't understand it. It's it's really it really is tragic. And I think if you even if you showed past dead presidents, like if you showed Ronald Reagan. This is what we're doing in Texas right now. Even Ronald Reagan would be like, that's fucked up. I'm not sure about that. I think you're giving him a little bit too much. I think I think Reagan would be like, yeah, let's not put him in uh, cages. I or, think I think the Gipper and uh, Trump would have a beer over it. <laughs> yeah, they'd talk it over. Yeah. If, if you showed that to, like, H.W. Maybe H.W. I think would be H.W. A little, would be like, we should not. He'd be, be troubled. He would the, definitely he'd be troubled. Definitely maybe. be troubled. I don't know how to like talk to people anymore about this. I've tried so hard to talk to people about immigration and I don't really understand where like the self-importance or it's like the self-interest involved in the immigration debate comes from. You know what I mean? It's like may maybe it's a generational thing. So I don't feel like many people in our generation are really raised with that much like uh, like patriotism and that much kind of citizenship yeah. pride. Mm -hmm. It, I never was, um, I, and that was probably a bit of a, of a byproduct from, you know, our parents being raised by, you know, Cold War era parents. Yeah. You know. But um, I, I, I think that, like, the only solution to this is, unfortunately, I wish there were, like, more pragmatic solutions, but um, generational. I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of things are historical and they're generational and they're going to require some people that have been raised in, like, generational standards forever to kind of just not be present in those positions. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say old people die, but <laughs> I mean, in less nice ways, I would like maybe, you know, people over the age of 60 to not be involved in the process anymore. Cause I, I think their opinions are mostly tainted for me. And what I, what I think it is, is that, so I'll, I'll say it this way. There was an interesting survey where people were given news articles and they were asked which, like, which is more tragic and people ranked like, what stories were more tragic? And the way it broke down was something like five European deaths are as tragic as one American death or like 10 uh, Asian or like 10 South American deaths are equal to one American death and so on. And it got progressively worse as you went farther and farther away from America. Yeah. And to me, this is an offshoot of people having a lack of empathy and ha have dehumanized people who aren't American. And I think that that needs to be recast, and I think it is being recast by our generation to have more empathy for people who aren't born in America. Because what did we do to earn our American citizenship? We got lucky and we were born here. Our, our parents produced us. Yeah, yeah. But literally nothing. And these are people who are willing to risk their lives because they've heard the story of America and because they have nowhere else to go and because they need to protect their families and that this is the best the best way for them to do that and it's the best way for them to make sure that their families aren't hurt that their families aren't killed and things like that and i'm sick of the whole scarcity debate we like if an immigrant comes here and gets a job first off they're not stealing a job that you know a father of three children is going to even have to like you know support that family to begin with mm -hmm. to i understand that most there's a little bit of nuance on the whole most immigrants are here on overstayed visas thing i believe there's a little bit of like a caveat in in like how that how that statistic is is worked but again that to me is kind of irrelevant because 
you know, we, we talked about it before on the, on, on the show, the whole crime thing, you know, mm-hmm. with, with immigration and how, you know, why don't we just deport every single person that, that commits a crime? To me, if you show a willingness to participate in society, a willingness to be a part of the community, and that means giving your labor to the community, and if you can't work, I mean, obviously, we're not going to, like, <laughs> penalize you for not being able to work. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, just I'm, I'm just throwing that out there just in case anyone thinks I'm, I'm, like, disregarding people that aren't able to work. But, I mean, if you're able to be a part of the community and positively invest, I, I don't care if you came here yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I don't care that if you came here yesterday from Cuba or Argentina or Guatemala, I don't care if you're still learning the language. I don't, you'll figure it out. Or maybe you won't. There's people that have lived here for 20 years. They can barely speak English. And you know what? They, they'll probably never affect my life. Yeah. And that, that's the big thing. Do I really think that the issue of like this kind of like quasi American, you know, cultural cohesion that, you know, the, the pro, uh, the, the right always, you know, argues is that really worth the constant displacement that we're seeing of these people in these regions all over? Mm-hmm. Because we don't have a scarcity problem. We don't have a scarcity of resources. We don't have a scarcity of, of, of money. We don't have these things. We have we, a scarcity. We live in the land of excess. We have a scarcity because there are people who hoard these things and because it's profitable to make sure that the, first wor- that the third world remains the third world. So the first world remains the first world. So it remains quite literally economically two steps above it. Yeah, we, 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 we don't have any solutions. We have no solution other than... Treat people like people. I, I don't even like saying that because I feel like it's it's too non-political. Because I feel like it it needs to be like a conscious undoing of these like biases and these these biases against, you know, the citizens of your country or whatever, you know? And it's, it's even weirder to hear Europeans talk about this. Because if there's any region on the planet that has been like <laughs> at war with itself and like conflicted with itself and has not been like a, a mass like hegemony of culture. It's Europe. We saw a wave of elections kind of in the last global election yeah. cycle where everybody just went conservative. Bolsonaro in Brazil. That's probably one of the worst ones. Yeah. One of far. the most egregious and most recent. The uh, Did we talk about that? So I think we talked about Brazil a little bit, but Bolsonaro, I mean, Netanyahu's already rubbing shoulders with him. Mm-hmm. There's like a... I've been talking about how, like, I think there's, like, a concerted effort in, like, global governments to really push us into, like, a very, like, conservative, like, era. Yeah, and, I, I mean, think so. We're we're progressively getting there. I mean, that we, we've already kind of been in, like, a globally conservative framework. I mean, you look at Germany and the U.S. I mean, oh, God, I had someone tell me the other day Merkel was a, a leftist and I my head about exploded. <laughs> but, um, like, that, 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 that's what I'm talking about. There's such disinformation. Yeah. In in like uh, uh, politics right now and especially coming from the right, because you paint anything that isn't like a pro hard line, you know, uh, uh, a nationalist argument like Merkel as like, oh, well, Mer- Merkel's a, a communist. Yeah. Give me a break, man. It comes from people being politically like illiterate. No, I, I think it comes. Well, it comes from that, which is a purposeful thing from governments. And then it also comes from. Uh, just decades and decades of history of the, I mean, of post-Cold War history, essentially, yeah. which people will substitute with, I think, what would be our final topic today, identity. Yes. Identity. Because people substitute history often with identity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if we're going to talk about identity politics, I guess we have to get this out of the way that we're two white guys. Yeah. So, 
take, I, I guess if, if, if that's an issue, take it with a grain of salt, anything mm -hmm. that we could potentially say, which would be great or negative, but identity politics is terrible. It's a, it's a terrible Can thing. Can you break down what identity politics actually is? Yeah. Let, let me say this. Both for me and for the The listeners. idea of thinking that there are groups in your society which are treated unfairly by you know the legal system or the police, or if you think that your country has a racist history and that that racist history still has like societal spillage into modern life, that's not a problem. That's not necessarily a bad thing to think because I, I think that too. I think that's a I factual thing. we agree thing. on a lot of those things. Yeah, I think that most people would identify that like clearly, I mean, America, Canada, um, like their racist histories against, you know, indigenous peoples, First Nations peoples, those have cultural, Lasting tangible impacts. I mean, we talked about last week that that um, border um, story where that that native said that, you know, we didn't step on the border, the border stepped on us. Those do have longstanding like psychological effects on people. Yeah. If you go to events on campus, especially events which are focused on like multicultural, you know, um, issues, you're going to hear people talk about their personal experiences. You're going to talk about people that are saying, you know, as a black person or as a person, that's not necessarily a problem. Mm -hmm. So I don't want people to think that I'm talking about identity politics in a negative way against the very idea of even talking about race or talking about gender or talking about those things critically. I think that we should talk about those things. The problem with identity politics, however, is that identity politics is the idea that if you're a person of those marginalized groups, you can possess the personal responsibility to change your place within society by very kind of suspect means. And those means usually involve representation in that culture or making sure that that culture understands your, um, like the full extent of your experience within that culture as a minority or as someone who was quote, like submissive to the, the greater culture or the, or the oppressor culture. And my big thing with identity politics isn't that you notice these, these, these issues in society. It's that you notice these issues in society and the solution is purely egoist one or it's a purely individual one. And the reason why I make that point kind of ties back to what we said earlier about the first and third world. Let's say I'm me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white guy. I'm passing as just like a cisgender guy. Mm -hmm. And it's not like known to most people that I'm not straight. But like if someone just like walked by me on the street, they'd probably assume I'm straight, you know. Mm -hmm. So let's say... You know, I, me, and let's say I was a type of person that that was very, very open about my sexual identity and I wanted to be a, you know, a, a gay rights activist. You know, mm -hmm. as a gay rights activist in America, you're going to focus on, all right, so what is the status of gays in America, like, first and foremost? And you're going to see, like, what laws are in effect that are discriminating against you. And those are all fine. However, the problem gets to the point where as, let's say, as a gay man, you know, or as a bisexual man or whatever, I'm going through, you know, this process of trying to challenge the things around me and it becomes, well, the struggle isn't so much about the society. The struggle is about my, my personal experience not being just known to people. And it becomes way less of like a cynical way of looking at the world and more of like, well, the world just doesn't quite understand. The world just kind of needs to be like, has a hand to be given out to it. And the problem with that is that um, the world doesn't work that way. 
the, the, the problem with that is that the reason why um, people are, are treated the way that they are, the, the reason why there are marginalized people in society is because of thousands and thousands of years of history of how society was developed, of how cities were built, how the pyramids were constructed, how labor was organized. It's, it's a long-standing thing. So let's say, hypothetically, as this gay rights activist, I spend my entire life championing for, you know, the rights of uh, gay people in America. And all this time, I'm arguing about these inner politics in the gay community about how, you know, as a white person, I have more privilege over black gays and or as black gays, they have a harder time. So you're focused on these these social optics of the gay community in America, which are completely the byproduct of the political structure of America, which you are not challenging. And all while doing this, while not challenging that structure, there are people within the first world that you know may share your same sexual identity that are dying every single day because you think it's more important to make sure that your personal identitarian experience is one of comfort in America rather than changing America to make sure that the globe exists more comfortably. And that's my problem with identity politics. It's that it ends at your comfort. It mm -hmm. ends, well, once I'm good and once my group is good, then that's the end goal. Because I never hear these people. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about, you know, intersectionality. They'll talk about these things, but it's usually like, it, it, it it's, it's like a footnote that they gloss over because mm -hmm. they continuously go back to talking about issues which are purely specific to them. And I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with people only focusing on themselves because in my opinion, if you're a leftist, it's a non-egoist position. It's a position of putting others before yourself, like critically, critically putting the, 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 the comfort of other people above yourself and making sure that the, the, the group, the, the, the group is secure rather than the individual. And I understand that the, like the, the overarching idea of identity politics is to make sure that groups are, you know, are, are organized in ways where, where they work together, but that's not how they manifest in modern capitalist society. They manifest in a way to where companies like Gillette or companies like, you know, uh, Dove are going to sell you these like commodified versions of resistance. Like we or put a ro uh, rainbow flag yeah. on our shoes. Yeah. And, and, I, want them? <laughs> and I see it all the time. I see gays get tricked by this shit mm -hmm. all the time of thinking, well, you know, I don't have to agree with the company. I don't have to agree with this person, but it's nice that they, that they show their, their support of me. And yeah. you're getting, you're getting duped. S some credence to being somebody who is part of the LGBT community and buying a product that a makes you feel better. Like if, if you're a lesbian woman, like wearing an Apple watch rainbow wristband could just give you like a little, like it could just make you feel better about yourself. It could, it could make you feel more welcomed about it. Oh, but why, why does that give you like comfort? Why, why does that Be give you welcoming? It's, it's a sense of community. I, Even I, if you I, buy into that sense of community, I still think there is a rewarding feeling from it, knowing and being reassured by just this little meaningless item that you've instilled sentimental value into. I think if that helps you get through your day and if that helps you be a happier person, that's totally fine. Like, I, I understand that products give people that comfort. I think that's a bit bit of my criticism. I think that's the criticism that I, like, identify in these companies. It's like companies know that if they, you know, sell you a bumper sticker, 
about being a, a proud gay parent, mm-hmm. you know, sure, that, that that would give you some sense of pride. It's like, look at me. I have this thing brandished. I have yeah. this this now now as a gay person, I have these things which fill up that fill out my personality. That's another problem I have with it with with a lot of aspects of, of of the gay community. I see a lot of like of these like performative materialistic like like actions. It feels like well, if you're a trans person, if you're a gay person, there's like X actions that you have to perform and there's X, you know, ideas that you have to hold. And yeah, which is really infuriating. And a lot of that, I think, goes back to the identity politics problem mm-hmm. because it goes back to it, 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 it destroys that there's like counter arguments in these movements because, you know, like like a big thing right now in feminism, you know. Uh, you, whenever you hear people talk about how like they don't like modern feminism, you know, they're always talking about how like, oh, feminism nowadays is too radical and the third wave feminists are too crazy, blah, blah, blah. And they'll always talk about how feminism used to mean, you know, women fighting for equality. And blah, blah. And they completely ignore that Andrea Dworkin was a, a second wave feminist who was an extremely controversial figure, extremely disagreeable she held a lot of like anti-pornography sentiments. Just a lot always a weird take. I mean, but but I mean, a, a weird take at first. But then it's like when you read her her actual like you know writing, some a lot of her arguments are, are pretty um, interesting. But that, that that's my point. There's this there's this like wealth of difference, and there's this wealth of of like uh, a conflict and nuance within these within these movements within feminism within leftism within you know uh, uh race and, and 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 you know how people look at these things and how they they critically understand them and i don't like the idea of like modern progressivism or like modern twitter progressivism having like a stranglehold on like what the proper black experience or the proper gay experience or the proper yeah. x y or z experience I is get that. yeah because in my opinion that really misses the point because we can talk about our experience as immigrants. We can talk about them as gay people and like we should, I think that there, that's a strong part of solidarity to acknowledge how under capitalism or under a society, you are kind of like put into boxes of oppression or boxes of, of immobility. But if you don't acknowledge that immobility and it's just a continuous like lifestyleism, mm-hmm. Or this like, oh, well, I'm constantly trying to f- find out more about myself and understand more about my identity. Don't be surprised when your entire block can't feed themselves. Don't be surprised when your community withers because you spent your time not focusing on the community. You spent it mm-hmm. focusing on the individual. On, on the individual. On... And we can do both. Yeah. That, that, that's my big thing. I don't want people to think I'm against the former. Mm-hmm. I'm against, I'm pro both. But unfortunately, I feel like the left has completely lost that. And it's we we don't talk about class. Um, it seems like we only talk about race. We only talk about about representation. And mm-hmm. a really a really funny point about about representation I want to talk about is it will be really brief. I'm in a media criticism class right now. And uh, we, were, we were talking about the Nat King Cole show, right? Nat King Cole show was took taken off the air after its first season, right? Last episode of the first season. Uh, it was taken off because there was a white singer on the show, a white female singer, mm-hmm. and she re- reached across and held Nat King Cole's hand, you know, mm-hmm. black, black guy. And this was like, you know, I can't remember the exact year, like the early 50s or something. Mm-hmm. And it got pulled. It didn't get pulled from the production company. It didn't get pulled from the, the producers, the directors. None of those people got pulled 
from advertising. Uh, the advertisers were the people that had the problem with it. Okay. And then it's so funny because back then you saw this footage in the 50s of people working in Hollywood being like, there, there is a serious issue with representation in Hollywood and this is how we can fix it. So mm -hmm. there were people on the ground having the exact same conversations that we're having. And you know what got in their way? Advertising. Advertise. That was the problem. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a problem that we couldn't get past the issues of race because I think that we really can. It's, an, it's the issue that we have this third party always saying, well, we can't quite yet. We can't profit off of it. We can't profit off it quite yet. And there's, there's still more marketability in these kind of like older paradigms that we want to maintain. Yeah. One of the most recent things like that is queer, queer coding, which we see a lot of right now. We're like looking at the Marvel movies. Captain, Captain Marvel is ostensibly a lesbian or bisexual. Like she has been queer coded in that film to be that way. Yeah, you could see that reading. But they yeah. couldn't come right out and say it because it's bad for advertising or it's mm -hmm. bad for things like that. I think we're at, like if there is a mountain of getting a, gay character that's just straight up I'm gay in movies like we're right reaching that pinnacle and I think Disney is gonna have to be the one that just kicks us over because they own everything like they yeah. are their own advertising and so I have a little bit of hope for it in that sense and, and, I, and I don't think that people fighting like to see you know that kind of that kind of representation is a bad thing yeah. but I, I just get exhausted sometimes when it's like they continuously argue against or they argue for for representation without realizing like that advertisement point. Mm -hmm. They don't argue against like the, the problem of advertising having such a strong part in the in, in the artistic like production process. Another yeah. good example, Pocahontas. You know, the 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 the, the movie, Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. I've never actually seen it. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. I used to watch it all the time as a kid. But um uh the, like the original Pocahontas, right? Mm -hmm. They were going to have I can't remember the the specific like uh group of people. So I'm not even gonna try to remember exactly, you know, the, the group of people mm -hmm. that they brought in. But um like the actual tribe of people they brought in, they were going to have the original movie spoken in that indigenous language with mm -hmm. subtitles. They were gonna have bring all these cons cons like uh consultant people in to make sure the the movie was like historically and culturally accurate. And then like, you know, it 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 was shown to people and they said, no, this is this isn't gonna work with the advertising. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna work with these people. And then we got what we got in Pocahontas, which the only people that like Pocahontas are like white people and like children. Children and the Native American people that were involved in the production of the Do movie. they like Pocahontas? I'm not gonna speak for all Native American people. Certainly but not. I've I think it's fair to say most have a negative opinion of the film based that's, on what I've what looked I, into. That's what I thought. And I'm not saying that they would have had a positive one with the other draft, but like that's another example. Like you can that's argue. That's an example of bad representation. Right? right, right. But the reason for that bad representation is because of that economic like, There's an, like arm inserting itself in there because it's saying, oh, well, like the public wouldn't want that kind of representation. Yeah. They'd want this where I think the public would probably not be okay mm -hmm. if they weren't guided by advertisements to think that those other things are like you know, distortions. You can find us on cmlife.com or your favorite podcasting app. I recommend Spotify or Overcast. Thank you guys for listening. Have a good one.